Excellent. All right. I'm going to be doing a little stage work while I talk to you. So uh, I'm going to begin by sharing a very interesting story. There, there was a church years ago, not, like, not unlike ours, looking for a minister, a preacher. And they found one. And there was, there was a real buzz, a very electric feeling in the church because it was the first Sunday he was going to come up and preach, and he stepped up there, and everyone was just buzzing with anticipation. He was his eloquent speaker. He had his points well-fashioned. He was polished. He was a ruddy-looking minister, you know, a handsome appearance, and, and everyone just adored him. Everyone, everyone was quite impressed with his lesson and, and, and the way he could draw their attention and tell stories. And the first thing he did was he opened up to the book of James, and he read a scripture from James. And then he went on. And as he, as he finished, there was a resounding enthusiasm. You know, everyone was just like, oh, you know, this is, this is, I, we're so excited to have a preacher here. You know, not unlike how we would feel. And, um, you know, and, and the minister was at the door. And as, as everyone exited, you know, they vigorously shook his hand. And, you know, they were just, they were just pumped up. Well, the next Sunday came along and there was even more excitement in the air. You know, they were, they were just waiting in anticipation. And the minister made his way up to the front and, and he opened his Bible to James chapter one and he started by reading the exact same scripture. And everyone was a bit confused, but they, they were quiet. They were respectful and they followed along. He was eloquent. He had his points well laid out, but people began to realize he was preaching the same lesson as the week before. <laughs> and so they were respectful. They were quiet and they listened and, you know, again, he was just captivating and what he shared really connected with him. And as he wrapped it up, you know, they kind of, uh, you know, pleasantly applauded. And, and then uh, he went back to his seat. And then after the service was over, you know, they came by and they respectfully shook his hand. And the next Sunday came. And there was a little bit of confusion amongst the church as they sat in the pews. And everyone was really quite, they were quiet and uh, some were uncomfortable. And the minister stood up, he made his way to the front, and he opened up his Bible to James chapter 1. And he started reading the exact same scripture. And as he continued with his lesson, there was some murmuring, and now, you know, people were beginning to talk a little bit, and, and, but, but still, nobody was, nobody was outright rude. It was just, some people were shocked. And he, eloquently made his way through the points, was very, you know, he had an amazing way of being very encouraging but firm, really letting, letting the scriptures come to life. And as he wrapped up his lesson, everyone was quiet as a mouse, confused, shocked, and he went and sat back down with a smile on his face. And then he went back to the back where the door is. And as he went over to the door, he's waiting and people are coming by, and they were repaying their respects and shaking his hand. And one old lady came up and said, Reverend, how come you have preached the same lesson three weeks in a row? And he calmly looked at her, and he said, Ma'am, when I see the church put it into practice, I'll move on to the next lesson. <laughs> Ouch! Didn't Chris do an amazing job last week? How many of you remember his lesson? What was the title? 
Good. And anybody, anybody remember like his main point or, or something that stuck out? Didn't write a song for David. Okay. Very good. I was about to name the title of my lesson, Nine Months in One Week Without a Song. I won't do that. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I, I'm, I'm having fun with you because we need to take to heart what the scriptures say. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 19. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 19. And it simply says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed or they will be blessed in what they do. And you and I know that blessed means happy, fulfilled. You know, it's, it's much, much more uh, deeper. It's much deeper than just, you know, that was a great movie and then the fa- feeling fades away. If we put it into practice, not forgetting what we've heard, but, but really putting it into practice, James, the brother of Jesus himself, is making it clear that we will be blessed. Right. We will be blessed. That's a very simple point, right? We've heard it many, many times. And I want to try to apply something. Let's look at Romans chapter 16. We're going to try to apply something today. Okay. Now, bear with me. I'm going to read several verses. <clears throat> 1 through 16, but I'm going to give you a little heads up. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 through 16, is at the end of a letter Paul had been writing. Actually, I think he had a scribe writing it. But you're going to learn about 27 people that Paul sent greetings to directly and had very specific things to say about them. You're going to learn about a house church, that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's home, and you're going to learn about two households that Paul wants the church to lift up. Sounds like he's pretty involved, isn't he? Okay, here we go. Verse 1. And I will get there. Okay, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Crinchia, and I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but we'll go with that. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Sounds like, sounds like a pretty awesome sister in Christ, huh? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, or Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. 
They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend uh, Stachis. I'll go with that. Greet uh, Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of uh, Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who have been a, who has been a mother to me. And then greet, and he goes on. Lots of names. I think I can pronounce Hermes. But he goes on and on. Verse 15, you know, more names. And then in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. All right. We don't read that scripture very often in church, right? It's not, it's not a popular topic, but we're going to have a little fun this morning. I've asked four of our singles, campus, and teens to come on up. I've set some chairs here, so I'd like the let's have the, the guys sit over on this side and the, and the two ladies that I asked, the women on this side over here. And what we do... And so, guys, yeah, Zach, you are here, and Jacob, you'll be over here, and then let's have Beth. There she is. And let's have Carly over here on this side. All right? It probably smells better on this side. I'll stay over here. (laughs) That's right. Okay. All right, so this is an interesting scripture because, let me recap. Romans 16, verse 1 through 16, 27 people, Paul mentioned by name, 27 people, that this wasn't even his home church, and they were actually traveling, people that traveled often. One house church and two households. So, let me ask you guys this. Why do you think Paul detailed all the hard work of so many brothers and mostly sisters that he encouraged the church in Rome to greet them. Why, why would Paul go to the trouble of naming so many people? And you, you know, just whatever answer you think, why would Paul do such thing? <laughs> All right. My initial thoughts on that are just like we want to recognize people's efforts and see like, okay, they helped me along through here. They should be recognized for this because it's not them, but it's God's working in them. And um, I think it's just an example, like God's putting or Paul's putting an example in there for us, like the church. Um, we're supposed to be working together, greeting one another, working together. So. That's awesome. So uh, Beth is now going to share the rest of the lesson. (laughs) All right. Anybody else want to say anything? Why do you think there were so many people detailed in that? Jacob? I think um, definitely to show, like Beth was saying, everyone's individual efforts rather than as a a body because God helps 
us as individuals and he's through us as individuals instead of uh, a church of people. That's great. What, what do you think that tells you about Paul's heart, that he would pick out individuals like that? That that he really cares about them. I mean, he just really wants to show them that, you know, that God is for them as, you know, they're that he's proud of them for. As individuals, yeah. yeah. All right, very good. And um, and this is for everybody. What What do you think we learn about Paul's heart when we, well, I actually asked that. What does this tell you about what's most important in the kingdom of God? What does this tell you? When you think of the kingdom of God, here's the kingdom of God right here. We're part of it. What does it tell you that's most important? What would Paul say is most important? And, and again, just anything you think of. You want to give it a go, Zach? Sure. <laughs> uh, that we encourage each other and that we're all, uh, that everyone's saved. Very good. Okay, so let's let's play with that a little bit. If Paul thought that encouraging individuals was so critical that he would go to the trouble in a letter that was read by lots of people, a lot more than I think he realized, because here we are today, two thousand years later, that he would that he would detail twenty seven individuals, a house church and families, then it's kind of like he's to me what I hear is that he's saying. If you really want to grow spiritually, this is how you do it. This, this is how you grow in your spirit for the church, is you, pick, you raise up individuals, you focus on them. But this is not a trick question, but how many of you remember what Paul was like before he was a Christian? Do you, okay, tell me what he was like before he was a Christian. Well, he was a very hardline Jew, very uh, uh, legalistic very uh, persecuting. Like he would persecute those that um, he felt that were enemies of the Jews. Okay. Yeah. And Carly, I don't want to put you on the spot. Would you like to? Would you like to add anything? And if you say no, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what I hear you saying is that before Paul was a Christian, what mattered to him was Jewish law, following Jewish law. So it's kind of like a process. You gotta follow this process or you're out of here. And now what, what do you see Paul doing? You see him thinking less about process and more about individuals. He's much more concerned about individuals and how they are doing. So when Paul, okay, so the story with Paul, I think we all know this, but I'll recap it real quick. He was on his way to kill some Christians. A bright light shone around him, and he was blinded. And then Ananias, uh, he, was, he fasted for three days while he was blinded. And during those three days, he probably was thinking about his life. And then he got up and he was baptized, and off he went with a new and different life. But that was three days of pretty intense thinking. What do you think he was thinking about? What do you think was going through his head during those three days? You know, just thinking about how he lived before as a Jew and, you know, um, the way he lived following law and, you know, persecuting those that persecuted him or vice versa. And 
if that was true or like if he should follow a new path with these Christians. And, uh, yeah. All right. So I bet that weighed on his mind. If, if he had to be repenting of something, what do you think he had to repent of? If there was really going to be repentance in his heart. His pride. His pride. Go ahead and give that microphone to Carly, please. <laughs> no, that's good. His pride. Go I ahead, was going to say pride as well, um, but <clears throat> just in general thinking like that he's more highly over everybody else because normally when... It takes a lot of pride to call somebody out and not look at your own faults first. That's okay. Called too. So I'd say he's probably needed to be pretty repentant of his pride. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Beth. Thank you. The deeper issue is his heart, where his heart's at. Um, I think he'd be cl- the creating me a clean heart of oh God kind okay. of came in my head. Like. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he would be repenting most of. Very good. So we know that in Scripture, by the way, you guys are doing a great job. Appreciate it. You may, you may feel like, oh, boy, hope we make it through this. What time is it already? But, but I, I want to, you know, I'm sort of demonstrating to our church what it's like when we're in room 208. And I'm asking you guys some questions to really think about. And there's a reason why. It's because we are spoon-fed a lot in life. Go do this. Go do that. But when it comes down to asking questions, what do you think he was repenting of? It's important that we articulate that because we have to stand for something. And Paul stood for something. So if he didn't stand for Jewish law and he repented, what is he standing for today? What ultimately is he standing for? Go ahead and tell me. Christ. Christ. Okay. And what, and what makes you say that? What makes you say he's standing for Christ? What evidence would you be able to say, yep, I can tell? Because he, he lived his life as if nothing else mattered. Yeah. As, as if nothing else mattered. And, and so if I was going to say, all right, Paul, you're living as if nothing else mattered. And here are these 27 individuals, one house church and two households that you're lifting up individually. How is he looking like Jesus? Because Jesus, he cared about the individual. He didn't. He didn't care about himself. He didn't care about um, what anyone else thought of him. Or you know, he cared about, you know, his flock. His flock. Yeah. Did you want to say something, Beth? <laughs> I see hands kind of creeping up. Okay. All right. So, so he cared about individuals. He cared enough to really be like Jesus. And we know that Paul said, if, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." So Paul learned that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then it became his mission to teach other Christians that mercy triumphs over judgment. Is it fair for me to say that Paul accepted Christ? All right, so now the question is, how did Jesus accept, or excuse me, how did Paul accept Christ. So we all we all agree, yep, he accepted him. How do we know that he accepted him? What evidence would there be that says, yeah, he sure did? Is it the same thing you said before? <laughs> he gave up his old life. 
Oh, ouch, that's right. Okay, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but you are absolutely right. He gave up his old life. So his old life was very, very process-focused. In the name of God, I'm going to drive out these Christians. His new life was, who's Lord? Christ. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. And how do we know that Jesus was Lord? He gave up his own life and he, uh, his old life, and he focused on the individuals. Okay, and what specifically, yeah, when you think of Romans 16, what's going on? What, what, what specifically is going on in Romans 16 that makes you think that? I mean, he declared it over and over, that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That's um, good. I mean, to me, it's he seemed very spirit-led, too. Like, there wasn't a process. He was just imitating Jesus and kind of, like, leading everybody in. That's great. That's great, because you're right. It, it, I'm an engineer, so process seems really important to me. And if I don't have a process, boy, it makes me nervous. It's kind of nice to know that the Spirit of God leads. I don't have to worry about that. Okay? Now, when, when, you, when, you, all, when you all see this, you see what happened, you see, you see what we read in Romans with Paul calling out individuals, what does that, what does that mean to you? How would you imitate that? I mean, it's going to start, like, in my daily life. Like, where am I at? Where am I, like, at work? Or, you know, when I come in here, when I see a new person here, like, making them feel welcome, valued, greeting them, um, not, like, overpowered, you know, like, pushing it all on them, but just being genuine um, showing them the love, you know, their person doesn't matter who they are, where they came from. Okay. So is it fair for me to say that what what Paul is really trying to teach us is, no matter where you at and who you're with, your goal is to elevate them above yourself. That, that's my that that has to be my goal as a Christian. If that's not my goal, then am I really following the Spirit? Maybe not. Okay. If Paul were if Paul were here. If the Apostle Paul walked in the door and he was here with us in the fellowship, how would he spend his time? What do you think he would do? I know what he wouldn't do. (laughs) I mean, I think he'd be very outspoken. He would be everywhere. He'd be praying. He'd be greeting everybody. He'd be... You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would. Professing God above everything else. like. You know. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else have any thoughts? What If Paul were here, what would he be doing? What would it look like to see Paul? Or here's a, here's a, here's a question kind of related to it. What would he say about us? What would Paul say about us, the church? Hmm. Um, I think that I feel like he would sit right there and look at all of us and he would like tell every single one of us by name like Alex what's your sin Isaac what's your sin and have to all look into ourselves because we are a body and in the Bible, it tells us if 
one arm is bad, cut it off. And so if one of us is bad, we have to help each other fix ourselves from inside out to become one whole healthy church. We have to all be healthy. So I think he would sit here and talk to every single one of us and help us fix ourselves with each other. Okay. Very good, Carly. So one thing that you two have shared, actually all of you have shared, is you've talked about how Paul would be direct. You've all alluded to that. And is it fair for me to say that our nature is not that way? By nature, we we would rather just avoid conflicts and let's just all sit down and eat popcorn and listen to a good preacher. Would you agree? You know, maybe maybe the popcorn wouldn't be here, but it is not our nature to lovingly work together to help build the body, as you just described, Carly. So, for for us as singles in campus and teens, we have a wonderful opportunity, and you guys heard me say this on Wednesday, to really show the church how you are going to be a church, and by being this way for each other, by mentoring and encouraging each other and not being afraid to be like Paul, you can effectively show us how a church loves each other enough to do more than just be the YMCA. Because it's fun to play at the YMCA. But church is church is God's design. All right. Hey, thank you very much. You guys, I appreciate you sharing. I'll stand at the door and you can shake my hand as you exit. I, I really do appreciate what they shared because uh, it, it is putting young people on the spot. But at the same time, I think it's important to put us on the spot and, and to ask questions and not be afraid. Uh, honestly, to not be afraid. Uh, Carly summed it up so well. Paul had a, a you know a wonderful ability to articulate and remember everyone and what their needs were and what they were good at and what i love what i thought was so cool is the evidence is pretty overwhelming in romans there were a lot more women he lifted up than guys i don't think that's because guys don't need to be lifted up i think it's because he cared about the ladies the women of the church in a society maybe i'm just guessing i'm not the bible scholar in a society where women really weren't looked at that much. Okay? And, and so I want to even point that out, is that uh, we as a church have a responsibility to lift each other up, whether it's individually, me with, you know, me with Zach, or, or it's collectively, sharing about the church. There's something that, that Carly mentioned that I'm going to dig in a little deeper. Look at Philemon. It's the really little book in the Bible near the back. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at this and then close out. Philemon, it's only one chapter. <clears throat> and, and what you're going to see is, let me, just, let me just read what I wrote here. Um, Onesimus was the slave of a wealthy Colossian named Philemon, and whose home the church met. Okay, so there was a church that met in Philemon's home. Onesimus had run away, and he probably robbed Philemon in the process. Okay? In Rome, Philemon had become a disciple. So out of Colossae, he probably ran away, and in Rome, he very likely became a disciple. 
He'd been helping Paul in prison. We know that. And now Paul needed him to return to Colossae. Paul's hope was that Philemon would not only give Onesimus, uh, forgive Onesimus, but welcome him as a brother, no longer a slave. So this brief letter, I want you to see what Paul is trying to communicate and his heart behind it. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow co-worker, and also Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy, encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did, I did not want to do anything without your consent. And it goes on. What we're seeing is simply this. Paul was managing relationships without controlling relationships. And when we are conflict avoiders, it, it becomes very easy for us to try to control relationships rather than manage peace. And a peacemaker uh, is, is one who is going to go after it, one who's going to, you know, the whole body is important to that kind of person. And Paul, here's our example. Don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. And so as I close, I want to encourage you to be like Paul. I want, you, I want to encourage you to lean in to building up this body and having that kind of, you know, if Paul walked in here, he would see that we're like him. That we, we know lots of people. We, we have the ability to know their needs, to pray with them. We're involved and engaged, and we're working with the body to help build each other up. And when someone is struggling, we're working to help them individually. And it's not just, oh, yeah, I heard their name prayed about on a Sunday. If Paul were here in our church today, well, let me, let me do this. Ten years from now, it's going to be the year 2033. All right? Jacob will be 28, right? Something like that. You'll be 75. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Alex will be approaching 40. If you're, if you're under the age of 30 right now, or you're near that age, you are the future of this church. And, and brothers and sisters... We need to do everything we can to support and serve God's church because when Jacob is 28, you know what I would love to see more than anything? I would love to see Jacob 
taking the role of any one of us that we're trying to do today. And he's doing it. Why? Because we were like Paul. We lifted him up. We, we, we were there for him, supporting him personally. We, we made sure that he kept in step with the Spirit. And we were there throughout his life. In 10 years from now, Beth will be in her 30s. And Beth is a wonderful human being and a great listener. And there's so many qualities that we can go on and on about. But who of us is going to be like Paul and build her up, strengthen, encourage her, so that 10 years from now, she is an example and doing things among the church that gets recognized in Romans 16. You know, someone I can depend on. And, and Paul has no other choice. We don't need a fancy minister with a ruddy-looking face coming in and giving us the same lesson every week. We don't. What we need is to listen to the word and follow it. I have no title for this lesson. I really don't. I couldn't come up with one. And certainly after Chris's title last week, I wasn't going to try to make one more clever. <laughs> but I hope that what the content helps you feel like you can embrace today. Because 10 years from now, we've got some bright young people right here and wherever Beth went. That we... Okay, there she is. Already working. Look at that. Wow. Okay, and if I talk too long, she'll mute me or something. We have, we have a bright future in front of us. What will we do today? to lift up our young people so that we're like Paul in a letter, able to recognize, you know, we know their name, we know their needs, we're praying for them, we're leaning in. And not just the young folks. How about those that are not here because of health issues, medical conditions, just life situations? How about we lean into those folks? I could go on and on, but I'm not. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll obviously we'll close out. Father, I just want to thank you very much for the young men and women that got on stage and, and fought off their nerves and, 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 of course, fought off me putting them on the spot because I love them dearly. And I really do want to lift up Jacob, and I want to lift up Isaac. I want to lift up Alex. I love those guys dearly, and it hurts my heart when they hurt. It hurts my heart when they feel incomplete, and it brings me great joy when, when they see things they want to grow in. And uh, I love Carly very much and very dearly. And Beth is just like a little sister. And it's, they're, they're precious, precious people that are, that are in your sight. Zach is a wonderful young man. And I thank you so much for his fire to learn your word. And there are many others, God, I thank you for. Uh, and I, I appreciate just all those that come, Libby, Lyric, that, that come, Hannah, and are, and are there giving themselves, learning, debating, discussing scripture. Would you please help the rest of us? Take the scripture, put it into practice. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.